listening to I Quit My Job, a podcast about songwriting, with your hosts, Travis Reitzma and Derek Harrison. I quit my job. I quit my job. I quit my job. I'm free today. Hey folks, Travis here. Welcome to the 22nd episode of I Quit My Job. Today we have Karina Rose on the podcast, along with special guest co-host and former guest Rachel Cardiello, who filled in for me and did a really great job. More on that conversation in just a second. Before we get there, we have big news. We're really happy to announce that we are being syndicated on Blues and Roots Radio. Blues and Roots Radio is an online radio station that is run jointly out of Mississauga, Ontario and Melbourne, Australia. They have a ton of great music, uh, spoken word programs from all over the world, and we're really honored that they're airing us alongside them. It's really cool. So head on over to bluesandrootsradio.com to listen to the station and browse around their website to check out all that they do. Uh, I Quit My Job hits the air every week, Thursdays at 7 p.m. and again Sunday at 2.30 a.m. Our very first episode with Luke McKeelson aired last week on March 17th, which, in a bit of unplanned serendipity, was one year to the day from that episode's original release date. Yeah, that's right. We've officially been doing this for a year. It's been an awesome year, and we hope that you've enjoyed it as much as we have. So on to today's episode. Karina Rose started her musical career in Montreal after growing up in Toronto, where she played in an ensemble folk band at an all-girls private school. Uh, She has this quirky, almost classical construction to her songs that stands in contrast to the simplicity of their folk sensibilities and instrumentation. She reminds me a bit of the Punch Brothers in that regard, but her lyrical chops, I would argue, are far more developed. Her and Derek and Rachel had a great conversation that uh, spanned many topics, including her transition from full-time studenthood to full-time musicianship. Karina has an undergrad degree in philosophy and a master's degree in social work, Uh, And that part of their conversation really resonated with me as uh, someone who walks that line between academia and musicianship on a daily basis. uh, There is this struggle that sort of exists between the two worlds, uh, one which is highly regimented and professional, and one which is in many cases diametrically the opposite of that. Uh, For me, the two worlds really complement each other very well. So it's interesting to hear their conversation on that topic. But anyway, let's get to it. Here's Derek and Rachel Cardiello's conversation with Karina Rose. Enjoy. Come sit, let's start a game. It's so fun to play broken telephone. Moving our lips and mouth, but what's coming out is so foreign. And as we start to speak, whispering the beat of the dial tone. Try to connect the line ringing one more time, but nobody is Eyes are glazing, staring into the dark Why is this so, so what is its color? Guess we just missed the mark And silence is golden, yes I am holding Anticipating your word Shouldn't be flattered, your jibber-jabber Just marks a lonely Shout it out, let us 
shot of glass, take a look at your affliction, can't you see I lost him? Please ask me your questions, don't tell me your lies, can't you hear me screaming, it's my being in Toronto? I, I, I like it. It's my hometown. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So this is, I guess this is what the podcast is for. Yeah. <laughs> now, now you know. <laughs> um, no, I've lived in Montreal for 10 years, but I, I grew up here. So okay. It's nice to be home, although I, like, I, Toronto's growing and changing so much, and I spent very little time in the, in the West End as a teenager. And, oh, yeah. you know, I didn't know anything about bars then, really. No. <laughs> <laughs> now I do. Anyway, it's different. I like it. <laughs> Things are different. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just convenient because you guys just did a show together last night, mm-hmm. which yeah. I came to. You you got in? No, I didn't get in. Oh, you didn't get in? <laughs> I, I got there at like quarter after nine or something, so it's a bit my fault, but um, I had big no sold idea. out sign on the door, yeah. which is, I mean, obviously fantastic for you guys. It was good. I... I Meant to, I should have put you on the guest list. That was not very nice of me. Um, anyway, it's okay. I mean, yeah, you're doing ahead. me a favor yeah. by being on this. This thing, is so. nice. <laughs> yeah, it was it. like it was really great that it was sold out. There were a lot of people that got turned away though, so part I like feel a little bit bad about it. But yeah, well, there was a few at the door yeah, when I got there. Yeah. Like I wasn't the only one who arrived at that second. I did like, not we expect like, that. Yeah, me either. And it, it happened really fast. Yeah, it was like because there was a lot of tickets sold beforehand. Um, and then it seemed like it was like 10 minutes of people yeah. arriving and then bam, it was just done. Was oh it. my God. Yeah. That's it was amazing. cool. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Okay. So I guess my first question is pretty broad. Sure. And it's, how did you do that? <laughs> how did you uh, sell out? What's the capacity in there? Uh, about a hundred. Okay. Um, how did I do that? Um, I... <laughs> well, this is me. I, well, I didn't realize you were from Toronto at first, so that mm. that's a factor, I guess. Yeah, so definitely, I mean, you know, I have, like, family and friends mm-hmm. and stuff that came, and, like, Rachel, like, had, a, like, lots of family and friends that came, but also, I think there were, like, a lot of people that um, I didn't know, uh, I think part of that was I started working with a publicist, and so mm. there was, like, a little bit of press for it beforehand, which I think must have helped but I don't know sometimes it's like a bit of a like a gamble like you never know what's gonna happen like you know we were like I looked at the Facebook event before everything started and I was like oh this is gonna be like a good show like there are a whole bunch of people confirmed but then sometimes like you'll have like a hundred people being like I'm going to this event and then you yeah, show up and two people are there and you're like oh I cannot rely on this you as can't like rely. any anything at all um yeah but yeah who knows like this was awesome, and then I, it's like one of those things where, like, next time I come, uh, maybe three people will show up. Like, I, I have no idea. Like, I, yeah, I mean, I have a little bit of idea, but you, you yeah. never know. Yeah. Was this the first time in a while? Um, that I've had a sold-out show? No, in Toronto. In Toronto. In Toronto. Um, oh, yeah, I was here in June, so, yeah, it's been a while. Okay. Yeah. And it was your EP release, and I think That's that true. felt like yeah. a big deal, like a yeah. show you don't want to miss. Yeah. I feel like it would be a good strategy to make, like, a lot of EPs, and yeah. just don't even worry just about just to have something to, to put on the poster. When I've been thinking about that too. I'm right. just like mm-hmm. having 
not always trying to make like a full album, just mm-hmm. like little tastes. <laughs> yeah. I'm such a perfectionist, though. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's the eternal question. Like, I mean, Rachel and I were talking about this on the way over here. It's like, um, there's like this part of you that like wants to make just like you know the perfect like record and like make it big but it like takes so much time and then you also have to like worry about like the business aspect of it like are you losing mm-hmm. momentum and then there's also the other like artistic aspect of it where like you work on songs for so long that by the time you release those songs they're like no longer relevant to you mm-hmm. and you're like i've been playing these songs for two years but they're new to everybody else yeah yeah it's, it's also a- the idea that per- the perfect record in your mind is always changing right yeah. isn't it so if you yeah. sit down to make a perfect record and you take too long on it, by the end you might as well throw away what you started with and just like yeah. well, you're making an entirely different record. At that's that exactly the thing is that you just like you just end up endlessly like working on it and working on it and working yeah. on it and working on it. You just like might never release it perpetually. And it makes yeah. you like you see artists that are like really on a roll with like putting out a record a year, and and then you're getting to see all the progression of their artistic mm-hmm. ideas because somehow they like on top of it enough or just have enough momentum that they can like keep producing but for the for everyone else you're seeing like one spotlight of their creative process every three years or something right and like how how many periods did you miss in their career that never got captured it's Mm -hmm. so interesting to me yeah yeah it was this great band in windsor that uh there was a great band in windsor that some of my friends were in and never made a record they were together for like 12 years huh and they kept trying and then like you know perfectionism would get in the way as well as other issues but so they would like start they had recordings they just never yeah and never completed Mm. them huh and they worked with a few different producers over the years and just uh it just got to a point where everybody started just leaving you know like Mm, shedding it because they realized it was never going to happen but seeing that band they used to play every wednesday at this pub, and it was just, I so badly wanted to hear that on record, and I still do. Right. But, like, that's a sound and a lineup of people that probably will never play together again. Yeah. 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 I think that happened with my old band, too, kind of. Like, the first band that I ever played in was called the Rusty Horse Collective, and <laughs> um, there were, like, maybe four permanent members and then the kind of, like, a rotating cast of characters. Um, and we put out a couple of EPs, um, and things were awesome, but all my bandmates were from the States. We were all playing together in Montreal and, like, eventually, like, moved back to the mm-hmm. U.S. Um, but kind of before, like, right before everybody left, we played, like, the most amazing show at this little cafe in Montreal. Like, I think maybe, like, 15 people were there. Which one? But, like, at Keji B. Oh, yeah. Uh, but everyone was so into it, like, <laughs> dancing, dancing their asses off and just, like, having a great time. Um, but, yeah, and, like, we kind of, and that was, like, the last show we ever played together, um, and, but we had like all this material that we had put together that we never, like some of it we never finished and like a lot of it mm. we never released. Um, and I just went to see the drummer from that band in Detroit and we like ended up like jamming and then we <laughs> just like started like jamming through all of this material that like we all never recorded, songs? like all oh, the wow. old songs and it was so fun. Um, and there's just part of me that was just like, oh, like I just want to like reunite all those guys and like lay the stuff down just to like have it although yeah. it would, you know it'd be different it's not the same moment in time anymore but, mm-hmm. but just yeah just those songs would just be, yeah. be gone at yeah. some point and so just even to get like a shitty live recording of it yeah just at like for your own records would be so nice yeah 
Yeah, I love shitty live recordings for that because then you yeah. can like capture something, even if you're the only person who ever listens to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it exists. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> Beyond time, I guess. Mm. Um, all right, so let's go back to let's go to the beginning. What brought you to Montreal? Were you okay? Were you playing music before Montreal? Um, not really. I mean, I had had like I was playing music like in school like I took like classical piano lessons Mm. and like just like played right like my high school I went to a very small like all-girls private school um that was like maybe 100 people grades like 1 to 12 um and so we like in Toronto yeah yeah it's called the Linden School it's like a really cool like feminist feminist school um, so we didn't really have enough people to have like a proper orchestra. So we just had an all ages folk band and we would like go to the Kiwanis festival every year and we'd be the only people in our category and we'd just be like, yeah, we like, uh-huh. we won every year, obviously. Wow. Although, um, yeah, <laughs> so it was, it was pretty fun. So I ended up picking up like a couple instruments. Like I played viola for a little while and I like picked up the guitar. Um, and there was like a lot of opportunity to kind of play music there um but I just like I never really like jammed with anyone like I didn't really somehow I didn't really know that was a thing like I'd like like tape myself playing Weezer in my basement in like my mm-hmm. mom's basement or whatever <laughs> that's like about the extent of that um so if you weren't jamming how did this what kind of music did the group play um it was all like uh like just like Canadian classics okay like, so you had like, like we the played like the like Neil Young and Gordon yeah. Lightfoot and Joni Mitchell <laughs> and just like did these hilarious <laughs> hilarious covers four strong winds was like maybe one of the first songs that i learned um yeah so that was kind of like that was yeah in toronto like very very little and then when i got to montreal i think it was like within like six months of being there i got a facebook message from like a dude that i'd seen around the cafeteria so i'd moved there for school Mm -hmm. um not to study music i was studying philosophy um at uh, mcgill And yeah, I like this is like back in the day when Facebook was for university students mm-hmm. only. Um, I yeah. <laughs> and so I got like this message from this dude I'd seen around the cafeteria. And I think like I remember my Facebook profile was like photo. It was just like something weird. Like I had like my hand in my head and I was like, like doing like this weird, like modely thing in my mind. <laughs> in <your> mind. <laughs> just like it's like a very vivid image. Um <laughs> And like, and like all my profile said that I played guitar. And so I got this message from this guy being like, Hey, like, I want to start a band. Like you want to come jam Listen, sometime? I need a person who thinks they're modeling yeah. in their hand in their hair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. Yeah, it was totally. Yeah. Um, and I like, I was just like, yeah, this isn't sketchy. Like, sure. Um, so he, like the residence that he was staying in had like a jam space. So I met him there with like this bassist and we just like started playing. Um, and it was like the first time I had just like, either like tried to write songs or just like jammed um and it was like it was amazing it was like the start of like this band that we played in for i think five or six years is that the collective uh yeah i was the and that became that became the rusty horse band rusty horse collective (laughs) rest in peace yeah r.i.p r.i.p um (laughs) yeah so that was like that was really my first experience with that um and it was and that was your first time writing as well yeah I mean, besides, like, coming home from camp when I was, like, 13 and, like, writing, like, sad, I miss camp songs on the piano. Really? Like, I was, like, <laughs> thankfully I none of those are recorded songs. anywhere. But, so were yeah. you writing because um, the group inspired you to write or because they just needed something to play? Um, 
It was just, so Matt Murphy, who was the one who messaged me on Facebook, like, I think that was something that he really wanted to do was, was write songs. And so at some point, I think he was just like, do you want to like write something together? So we got together, just the two of us and wrote this like, very adorable, like, song, like country boy, city girl duet, <laughs> which you can still find online. It's called Mess of Free Time. This was back in the day when the band was called Purple Crayon. Right. Um, Crayon. Yeah. And, and this uh, is where we cut the interview and play the song. On yeah. The yeah. I want to, I want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> the history of Karina Rose. Um, <laughs> uh, VH1 style. Um, yeah. So that was like the, the so yeah, we just, mm. we started writing. Um, I guess it was like mostly kind of like, um, I was just, I just went with it. Like I kind of came to university, like not really knowing what I was doing. I just like, was like the university was the thing that you did after high school. And so right. I was just kind of like, yeah. all right, like this guy wants a jam. Cool. All right. Like we're going to write songs. Cool. And then like a year later, I was like, this is awesome. Like <laughs> I should do this more. Um, and then when the band broke up, uh, I like was like, I didn't realize just quite how devastated I was, I, oh. I was going to be until afterwards. And, um, and then I just realized that I needed to kind of keep, Keep going. Keep the oh, music my own. going. Yeah, keep the music going. Mm. So where does the banjo come in? Um, it was also a little Rusty Horse inspired. Uh, I was playing with this fiddle player named Mark Poffham, and there was like one day where he came to rehearsal. He had just like got just gone home to New York, and he was like, "Yeah, I bought this banjo off of a off of a druggie. He sold it to me for like a hundred bucks." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh!" And like he started playing it, and I was just like, I was like, "Wow, this instrument is amazing." So I, I like picked it up a little bit. Um, and then the band broke up and I kind of, like, just like the banjo was just like on my mind. And I think it was like three years later that I was still thinking about it. And I was like, oh, yeah. all right, it's time. Like, I just like looked up banjo on Craigslist. There was one, like one person selling a banjo in Montreal and I bought that banjo. <laughs> you found that one person. Yeah, the one person. The banjo. Yeah. <laughs> so doing the, putting the numbers together, it sounds like you haven't been playing the banjo for that long. Um, I've been playing banjo since 2008. Eight. Okay. I may so I'm have, doing my math wrong. I, like I may also be like exaggerating numbers. I don't know time. <laughs> I don't under. I don't understand time anymore. I like it's. I think since becoming a musician, uh, my <laughs> sense of time has just gotten so backwards. Would like, you agree with that, Rachel? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it's all in chunks. Like it's really hard. Yeah. I feel like school was such an easy way to be like, to like define so years. Yeah. There's there's such exact patterns. And then, like, since yeah. school, it's just been, like, it's, it's really hard to, like, tell what's been going on. <laughs> yeah, and it's just because, like, you're always, you're always moving, and there's always stuff happening, and, like, you're constantly thinking kind of, like, a year ahead, like, six months ahead, a month ahead, and two weeks ahead. Right. And so there's just, like, everything just, like, gets, like, sm like smashed together. <laughs> like, like, time just goes by so much faster. Um like, like next year feels like it's just like gonna come in a second. Right, because mm -hmm. you're already planning yeah. it. You're yeah. yeah, you're already I'm just applying like, to things and yeah. working on tour scheduling. and Exactly. Um, and I think like, you know, I went to a New Year's party um, with like some friends of mine and I, I was like talking to a friend of mine. I was like, oh, like when was the last time we saw each other? It was like a few weeks ago. And he was like, Corey, it was four months ago. <laughs> and I was like, really? Like, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel no. like that's that much, much time, but it's... You just, I think I've learned to like, just like pick up where I left off. And when I like, I leave for three weeks at a time and I'm home for three weeks at a time, but it just like, yeah, it doesn't feel like I'm away. Where you're like, your much. Montreal life just like 
continues on one time graph yeah. and then the pieces you miss even though you've gone been gone like six yeah. months this year are just like <laughs> just disappear and then the timeline continues exactly without you yeah mm, i understand strange. that but you did so you did a philosophy undergrad yeah and then a social work master's yes that is That's, true i feel like that there's one composer in my undergrad who was a he was a philosophy undergrad and then went to composition in his mm. master's and I feel like that having the those other knowledge bases coming into music is so so nice as like yeah just a music person <laughs> like I want to know so much more other things than besides music it's so funny like sometimes I I grapple with it sometimes like it's nice to hear you say that uh or I'm just like yeah I guess like I learned some stuff but at the same time like <laughs> I was just like, oh, I graduated from my social work program in 2011, and I have not done anything with that degree. Like, I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't worked in social work. I volunteer sometimes. Every time I run into my grandma, she's like, "So, are you gonna get a job in social work sometime soon?" And I'm like, maybe. Bamf. <laughs> yeah. But does it not yeah. inform? you know, the rest of your life, your songwriting, your... Maybe, yeah. I mean, there's, like, definitely a certain sense of empathy um, mm-hmm. that, like, and, like, there are certain things that I learned in that program, although I was pretty dissatisfied with McGill's program. Mm. But, I mean, like, philosophy, for sure, like, has also, like, informed my worldview, and it's been extraordinarily helpful for writing grants, like, just to have... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, I all, studied like, creative writing in school, so that's helpful in yeah. that regard as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's been good to just like have this background where I can just be like, oh, I know how to write like a concise thing, um, <laughs> and like read the question properly and like this mm-hmm. kind of thing. So. And so I could hear the social work in your songwriting too, yeah. like as just like as a framework to interpreting like different people's lives in your own life it yeah it's it's in their understanding this like structure of social lives yeah. mm-hmm. um and like the other thing that i i've been thinking about a lot actually is um and the, i think the thing that i feel guilty about sometimes too is just like wondering how um my music like uh i guess like exists in the greater scheme of the world and like what um, yeah, like, what that's doing to, like, um, I don't know, change things or, or not, um, and, you know, I initially, like, went into social work so that I could, like, help, like, support certain movements and, like, um, just, yeah, be able, I don't want to say help people, I feel like that's, like, not, um, the, the direction that I, I come from, but just, like, yeah, supporting people, like, navigate, like, institutions, like, oppressive institutions, mm-hmm. and, um, and then I kind of, like, got really burnt out, I burnt out before I even started becoming a social worker, mm-hmm. um, but it's something that I've been thinking about, like, figuring out how I can do that with my music, and how yeah. my music can kind of be supportive to, like, marginalized communities, and, like, um, yeah kind of what I can do like cause, uh, also like a lot of these songs are like very personal and like if can feel very selfish um what's your feeling about about the power of music to communicate things and change yeah. people's perceptions you know it's one of those funny like self-deprecating musician things where I believe like very strongly in like the power of music and there's so much that it can do and like music has such a history and like and social movements and social change. Um, 
and just like, you know, the things that I feel when I listen to other people's music and like um, how that affects me like personally and emotionally. Um, like I like saw Tanya Tagak play mm. um, in October of last year and it was just like, uh, like I've just like never had a musical experience that was like shook me in such a deep way and like just like access something that I didn't really even know was there. Like I like, I like, like just, just like, completely like in another world during her set and she stopped playing and I just like broke down in tears mm. um and had to like take a two-hour walk home to kind mm. of like process everything that I had felt um and yeah so I I believe wholeheartedly in the uh, ability of other people to do that but there's like it's hard for me to kind of feel that way about my own music um and uh there's like that whole question of like um yeah power and like what what I'm doing and like whether like if I even thought that way like it would almost be a barrier to like reaching out to other people if I was like yeah my music is like I'm gonna like change the world with my music is also like a really problematic place to come from yeah um, because then you can also like prescribe things onto onto social movements or like talk about things that you don't know anything about um, or like talk about things that aren't yours to like talk about or like own I don't um, think it's the right motivation. Yeah. I, I think... Yeah. Because I've thought a lot about that as well. Having, yeah. like, come from a family of, like, doctors and nurses and, like, very, like, practical, helping the world type yeah. of professions. Um, but I think the selfish aspect of, like, writing about yourself and about your life experience, the the bigger part of what it's doing is, like, creating... A, a space and like an acknowledgement of people's people's life experiences yeah. like whether it's yours or not but like you know having 100 people in a room like it, it just uh, it changes like the fabric of people's day-to-day lives to to be putting that energy into being like you know just creating a space and being like this is look we can all just like get together mm-hmm. and and just seeing someone else's um life ex- experience I, I feel like I I've been around mm. some families lately who who will shut down emotionally when things are are rough and it's like it's so important to have that challenged even if it's like so maybe your story is not directly related to them but just seeing you like give acknowledgement to mm. your own feelings is enough of a like a switch sometimes from like a a routine. Well, to add to that, I think also to it's only really through um, being honest and truthful and genuine that you can be really relatable. And by singing about real personal experiences, you can communicate with other people who've had similar feelings and similar experiences. Mm-hmm. And, it, and to write other people's stories, stories outside of yourself, is really hard. Yeah. And if you don't do it right, it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> Some people, like John Prine, can do it. But that's a really exceptional skill, I think. Yeah. To have that. But then again, that's, that's where uh, empathy comes in, right? Mm-hmm. In, which you credit your social work <laughs> uh, studies with. And... Having, you know, really high level of empathy allows you to speak 
to other people's experiences better. Mm. Yeah, and this is the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about. There's like, uh, mm, there's this book, like this ebook, um, that again one of the Rusty Horse members, Matt Daher, sent to me recently, and it's uh, there's this organization. Um, in the U.S. called Artists U, as in the letter U, like Artists University. Um, and they put out this ebook. You can also order a physical copy that's called, like, How to Make Your Life as an Artist. And um, it's been a really interesting read. I haven't actually read through the whole thing yet, but what they kind of, like, start, like, right off the bat, um, I mean, they're talking about, like, sustainability, um, like, both financially and, like, in terms of mental health and, like, mm. um, just, like, kind of slowly, like, working your way into, like, whatever art you're doing is, like, part-time, first, like, part-time and then full-time. Um, but, yeah, right off the bat, they talk about, like, kind of trying to sit down for a minute and think about what, like, your mission is as an artist um, and what, like, what your artist statement is. Um and so just, like, thinking about, like, how your art fits into, yeah, the, the greater scheme of things. And, like, there's, yeah, it, just, it's, it was interesting, like, the way that they put it is kind of, like, you know, you can explain, like, you can describe your music or your art and kind of say, like, well, I, like, um, like sculpt, um, I don't know, uh, yeah, I'm like not coming up with anything right now. Just like you know, there's like the the description, but then there's also just like, well, like what questions are you exploring, and like what's the right. implication of what you're so doing? So there's like, like the material, thing. technical thing. Be yeah, like, I just like I play folk music, and like I play banjo, but then it's like, what are you doing with yeah, that? Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, and that's one of those things that I've been thinking about a lot, and I haven't figured out the answer to that question mm-hmm. yet. But I think it's like a pretty integral one. Um, mm. Yeah, if that's like something that you're gonna do with your life for sure yeah mm-hmm. that's a tough one hmm. I think that's a big question too yeah. like there's like the question of like what am I doing musically and then yeah what what change do I want to make and like how can I do that like with my music with but medium. then also like with say the power that I derive from like the music itself or like being somebody like in the industry right. um, and like when do I speak up and like what do I what do mm. I speak up about yeah. Well, music also allows you to have a bit of a soapbox, right? Like yeah. it gives you a voice. It makes, if it's good, then people listen to you. And then that's a power that you can mm. use, you know, hopefully for good, good purposes. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was telling you that the interview I read with the weather station, and she was talking about how she's a fairly quiet person, especially in social social context that she won't interject her thought in order like Hmm. to supersede what other people are Mm -hmm. saying but that music gave her a way to to have her voice heard and she she sings so quiet too but like having just the power of a microphone to like suddenly give acknowledgement to what what you Hmm. have been trying to say do you feel that way yeah, well, I feel like my, like, my main, well, I was feeling this last night that, like, I went through, like, such a period of playing really introspective, like, um, just kind of, like, needing to, like, pour, pour stuff out of me to just get it out of my system. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I felt that last night of just being, like, I there's just, mm-hmm. like, too much in me that I'd like it to play a show like that and just like let it 
let it all get out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not very eloquent today. Well, it's the idea of <laughs> yeah. music and performance and songwriting as self-therapy. Right. Yeah. And and I do think that, like, I, I feel a significant change in myself when I go through periods without performing because there's too much feelings for how much time you actually get to, like, express them. Mm-hmm. Like, to play a show every three months is not enough for me because I just, like, there's too much, too many feelings. And if I have to put that all into conversations with people, it exhausts me. But if I can sing it, I can, like, express those feelings and get an energy back. Mm, I fully relate to that. that mm. How about you, Corey? Um, I mean, like, definitely one of the reasons why I started writing, and I think it was subconscious, was that I, like completely had trouble kind of um I just like talking about my feelings and it was way easier for me to sing about them um and like write songs about them and so that's definitely a way that I like that I deal with that for sure yeah um yeah there's like definitely like a also like a catharsis to like performing that Mm -hmm. and um yeah and there's also an, an intensity to it too just like kind of especially when you start singing about um, things that are like really personal to you and really intense and like those kinds of intense things and like trying to find um, just like this um, balance between like feeling that while you're on stage but not feeling it too much. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're like playing those songs every day and think you can like think about those things every day or like overthink them and um, yeah, it can be yeah it can be really intense and like sometimes that like comes out in a really beautiful way and sometimes mm-hmm. it's like really hard um i've had yeah. a couple of songs that there's been a the first few times i play them through once they're written um there's certain parts or certain lines that it's hard for me to get through after you get past that after i got past that point it's just it just feels really great to be mm-hmm. able to use that medium to communicate something which i don't get to communicate very much you know? yeah one thing I, I worry about a little bit and and it, it's a negative, positive thing of like, so you have this really raw emotion or raw experience, and then the more you sing it, the more it forms a callus. Just like mm. you said, where the first yeah. times it's like too hard so, even to get uh, yeah. through it, and then the more you sing it, you you learn how to like use that emotion or use that raw thing in a public way, and it it does form a callus, which for some some experiences is really necessary I think mm-hmm. it yeah. kind of gives you ownership of that but there have been there have been songs that I've stopped performing because it's like I want to keep because you got too far I from keep, that well I want to keep the rawness of that of that experience for myself okay you know hmm. and not and not make it make it something that feels distance for me hmm do you have songs yeah. that you've like just kept for yourself? Um, not not yet, um, but I I'm writing a lot of of songs that I that I'm yeah that I might but I yeah it's something that I, I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, there's yeah I think like I just. Yeah, I'd never actually thought about doing that before, um, but I like that resonates with me for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never thought about it that way either. Yeah, 
but the closest thing I can think of in, in a couple of my songs is songs that I don't play in front of family members. Hmm. Right, because they're too close to home. Because I don't. I feel like it, I, I might hurt them. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's really. Yeah. I I've seen that with uh, on James's album. He he has a few songs that are definitely about his, like some of like the the darker spots in his family history and uh i i felt nervous of him like putting the the album out and being like who who will be able to pick up on these and like understand like when it when it's not a shared consensus that these things were hard yeah it's like i felt like it was making it so public all of a sudden Hmm. um but most people didn't I mean, I I don't know if they could read themselves so. in it. Okay. Do you think it's confrontational to, to? Do you think there's a confrontational aspect to putting on or to talking about really tough subjects in a public place? Um, it, like a place like music, yeah. where people won't necessarily expect to be, you know, dealing with really challenging things when they just kind of want to enjoy whatever. Yeah, it it can be, um, and it's definitely, like, yeah, again, like, in terms of, like, mission and, like, mm-hmm. yeah, that kind of thing, like, it's, uh, that's also something I've been thinking about a lot, um, like, just, like, thinking about, like, how much to say and how, how much to kind of leave to the imagination, and mm-hmm. there's, like, also, again, like, kind of struggling between, like, music and emotion and, like, reaching out to people and, like, doing that like and just like that raw honesty and also like commercialism and like being like <laughs> well I also have to like Monetize. sell albums and like market things um and like those things like kind of like at least um seeming like they're in in conflict with one another um and like you know I remember I was just on this like house concert tour and it was something that was like not booked by me um and it, yeah, it was Home Roots. Um, and there, like, I was just playing at all these people's houses and, and people that I'd never met before, and I had, like, no idea, like, where they were coming from. <laughs> um, and I suddenly, like, when I... I play at Grumpy's Bar in Montreal every week, and I, like, that's my living room. Like, I can say whatever I want. Yeah. I can play whatever I want. It doesn't matter. And then I was kind of, like, suddenly in this space where I was, like, just, like, being really, really cautious, like, oh. may, probably more cautious than I needed to be, like, just, like, cutting out all the stuff about, like, fuck patriarchy. Like, <laughs> That's just, what I knew you were talking about that song, yeah. I was like, I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just being like, oh, I don't know if I can say that, and it was funny, like, I talked to my bandmate about it, and she was like, yeah, I really miss you, like, saying that, um, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't know if it's appropriate, and she was like, but who's gonna argue with you about that? Is that, like, really gonna be such a problem? And I was like, I, I don't know. Um, and if it is, like, if it is a problem, like, does it matter? Um, like, <laughs> I think it's yeah. interesting because when you're in a yeah. in a bar or, like, you're hosting your own night, you, the the ball is more in your court. Yeah. But the home roots are really interesting because, I haven't done a home roots tour, but yeah. just house shows, you are, you are not the host. Yeah. yeah like, it, there's a yeah. strange, like, catering to... to yeah someone's because you're in someone's home and so if you're directly at odds with their i mean not not that you're at odds but if you're like challenging their friends and their community i 
even though I think that's important for like yeah. a lot of places to just hear like the the reality for somebody else. Yeah. I think on the flip side of that though, um, the house, the space of house shows is a space where I think there's a bigger than usual opportunity to really communicate with people. Yeah. Right. So I think it's a fine line. Yeah. Like you don't want to say nothing. Yeah. Because people are listening in a way that they don't in bars. Well, yeah. And, and better to be challenged than to just be catered yeah. to all the time. Like if, if I go to show, like I want to like see what that person's all about. You want to get a different Even perspective. Even if it's different than my perspective. Yeah. Especially, well, yeah. especially yeah. if it's different, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's in, like, it's one of those things. Yeah. Like that's one of those things that I'm like very much realizing now. And like, um, you know, the other, the other thing about like house concerts too, is that you're often like staying with the people that you're, where you're playing, which like kind of like adds that like extra layer of like safety or like unsafety. Um, but again, like, you know, thinking about, but like privilege, like I'm, I'm a white cis woman. Like I probably like would like being able to like speak out about things and like say how I feel, um, it might be like a lot safer for me to do that than a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, de- yeah, it's such a fine balance. Um, and it's like kind of like a confidence and a power that I'm like, for sure, like just like searching for. Um, yeah. Was it your first homewards tour? Yeah. And what's the, uh, will you do it again? I would do it again. Yeah, for sure. Where, did you, where, where were you? Uh, we were in BC. Okay. Um, we did Southern BC. Um, yeah, it's like, it's definitely, it's a, like, it's a different, it's a whole different thing. Um, and it's like a very different way to tour. But yeah, we had a, we had a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just you and Leah? Yeah. yeah. That'd yeah. be fun. Yeah, it was great. Okay, so speaking of Leah, um, 2011, got your master's, play the banjo. Then what happens? <laughs> um, oh yeah. Um, so I, <laughs> I submitted my master's thesis and released my first EP in the same week. Oh my, oh my god! god. <laughs> 2011. That must feel um, good. It was really intense. Um, and then two weeks later, I moved in with my grandma because she was she was not doing well. She's actually like fully recovered and is fine now. Um, but she was living in Montreal at the time, um, and was just like sick. Uh, and we decided to like help her move to Toronto so she could be closer to my mom. So uh-huh. I lived with my grandma for, um, a few months, like, uh, and it just like kind of happened as soon as I was done that, that mm-hmm. program. Um, and was just like, knew I needed a break from social work. Music was going well. Um, took a trip to India for a month after my grandma moved and then got a call from my friend Gabrielle Papillon. She said that she was like releasing a new album. She was going on tour. Do you want to go on tour with me? We'll go as a double bill and you can play banjo with me. Um, and I said, okay. And we (laughs) toured together for the better part of 2012. Really? Yeah. Um, for most of the year and recorded, uh, her next album. Um, and yeah, and that was kind of, that was like really the catalyst for me where I like, so that was the first the time. Yeah. Jumped on via rail. The ropes of like mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she had, she booked the whole tour. Um, and yeah, just like kind of went along for the ride and it was just like really, really nice to kind of, yeah, just hop on via rail and kind of just like be taken to all these different places mm-hmm. and like figure it all out. Um, 
and yeah, it just like got so much momentum going and I kind of got home and I was like, I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. the first time I saw you perform with, I think at a folk alliance or one of the folk mm-hmm. conferences supporting Gabrielle. And then I, at Campbell mm-hmm. Bay music festival, you showed up and I was like, I had been so curious about your music mm-hmm. after seeing you with Gabrielle. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and then you played, like, the sweetest set at Campbell <laughs> Bay, and your songs were so, so, like, strange. <laughs> they were just, like, these, like, so well-written and, like, but so quirky and, like, unexpected. Yeah. I, I found it, it was, like, a, a little burst for me. I had the same experience, actually. Huh. I saw you at, at, yeah, I think, uh, uh what's that loft? Um, the Living Womb? No, this is pre tour tour prism. Yeah, prism. Yeah, that's right. What's the name of the one? Um, tear. Tear. That's that's what that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I was just I was there. I don't even know why, but uh, but you played a set, and it was just this. Oh, whoa! Like it was just this very much this reaction of I was not expecting that, Hmm. and I loved it. Um, and I was thinking maybe we had met that night, but I guess not officially until now. Yeah. Maybe briefly. I don't know. I'm sure after your set, you were too busy. I don't like to bug people after they play because, especially if they play really well. Because I get really kind of, after I get off stage, I'm a bit like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if I feel like I did a good show, then I'm more embarrassed. I don't know why. If I feel like I played really well, then I'm kind of like, all right, let me just go stand over here. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, Anyway, I, um, sorry about the praise, but... Uh, oh, no. I, I, did I derail the conversation? It's nice. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, but yeah, so you did the tour with Gabrielle yeah. and um, and then decided to, to go in uh, the deep end, do it, do, it, do it full-time? Yeah, I just kind of jumped in. Um, how did I even... I don't even know how I was supporting myself, to be honest. <laughs> I think... Oh, right, right. Yeah, I dove in... Mo- like more or less full-time I mean I've had like a lot of weird service jobs Mm -hmm. like a lot of like random service work work jobs like I've worked at an insurance company mailroom a couple of times (laughs) um I was a telephone fundraiser for UNICEF for about five seconds (laughs) um it was uh it was brutal really no never (laughs) you just like five seconds in I can't I'm yeah, not. it was pretty, like I think I, I made it through like there was like an intensive like four day training session and like oh. made it through that like passed with flying colors and then as, as soon as I got on the phone, um, everything you just, just had to like, cold call people and it was it, cold calling people and then very quickly realizing that I was working for a for profit company fundraising oh, for nonprofit I was like this doesn't make any yeah, sense and it's yeah. like you know you think you're doing a good thing and then realize that like actually this is uh, this is weird. Um, and like, we had like a very strange script that was like kind of full of lies. (laughs) How is this even possible? Um, like, yeah, it was anyway, I'm not gonna talk too much about that, but yeah, so I did that. I've like, I sold felted animal heads at a craft fair. (laughs) Like, (laughs) just like weird stuff. Um, and then, you know, I make a little bit of money off of like music stuff and, and that kind of thing. And then, you know, grants, grants are so great. I'm so, I'm so glad I live in Canada for that reason. Like it (laughs) just like makes life so much easier. Yeah. So I've been, yeah, more, more or less 
some somewhere between part-time and full-time music mm-hmm. um and it just like the more i do it the more right it feels yeah. um yeah when was the John Lennon Song Award? Oh, 2013. Oh, okay. Um, that was, so I wrote a song. It was one of the songs that I wrote with the Rusty Horse Band, um, but they were, like I just kind of knew it was special. Um, and I submitted it to this to the John Lennon Songwriting Contest like long after the Rusty Horse had actually broken up. Um, and I like just like, you know, paid the $30 submission fee, like submitted it to the contest, and then like several months later just like had an email in my inbox that said like, congratulations you won and I was like wait is this spam like I don't remember applying for this and then being like oh yeah no this like this is a legit thing so that was like that was really cool um yeah and since then you've done one full length is that right yeah and then there's also the new EP there's the new EP and I like I've recorded a couple of other EPs um just like yeah in 2011 I had like this little folk pop EP that I put out um, and Leia and I have done like did a little live off the floor thing, just the two mm-hmm. of us called B sides. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, but yeah, Northeast Southwest was the full length that, that came out in 2013, and then The Wharf just came out over the summer. Um, and how that's that's a bit that's a long gap. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it is. I feel like yeah, the the every other year thing isn't isn't too bad. Um, it feels like a short period of time. Yeah. But, see, yeah. I'm impressed yeah. by that. I'm like, yeah. oh, two years. Yeah. Like, re- new recordings are tears with Yeah. I'm stuck in the 70s. That's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'm just, like, I'm records. so enthralled by people who can get out albums. Because it's just, like, yeah. I feel like booking one summer tour took me an entire year of emails. It was, yeah. like, yeah. when did, but then, like, when do you shift your focus on yeah. recording? Like, do you have to, like, do stop right. everything? And, like... It's a funny balance. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. This is the thing that I'm, like, struggling with now is that, like, now that I have, like, the more momentum I get, the less music that I actually play. Mm-hmm. And the more, like, focus is on, like, administrative business, work. I'm like, yeah. oh, now I'm, like, booking stuff and, like, going to conferences and, like, I have, like, like this backlog of, like, administrative work <laughs> to do and, like, all my finances and, like, oh, my God. Um, so I'm trying to, like, shift focus back. But it, it's so easy. Like, I can see easily, like, how people take, like several years between records and it's you know not because like the well's dry it's just no. because there's no time yeah um, and so that's why you yeah i guess that's why you're working with a publicist now to take yeah, a little that, bit of a burden up. that has helped a lot yeah. and sure. how's it going uh so far so good yeah. i mean yeah we had like good press for this show it was just mm-hmm. like it was magical um yeah it was really yeah i was so impressed i i like have never worked with a publicist and so yeah, like yeah for you getting a publicist and then there's like now magazine yeah I, it just it it put it it really put the show on people's radar metro morning was pumping it yeah it's just i couldn't it was really awesome yeah <laughs> yeah it's different so home base publicity thank you guys home base oh yeah, yeah. yeah. okay how do i know that anyway it doesn't matter right now. yeah how did, how did you find um writing at the residency Oh, okay. So I did a, a residency in Banff um, in oh, Banff September. Center, yeah, at the Banff Center for the Arts, um, and that was that was incredible. Like, I just I pretty much just like put my laptop away for three weeks. Awesome. Um, and yeah, so Banff they give you a studio. They give you a mm-hmm. studio with everything that you want in it, like grand piano. I had like an amp, electric guitar, like a bunch of recording equipment. Um, 
And it was just like, it was so inspiring. Like you have like 24 hour access. Um, they feed you while you're there. You just like stay in like, kind of like, you've got like, it's like dormitory style. So you've got like a roommate and like a little like hotel like mm -hmm. thing, like just like down the road. Um, and you're just like there with, you know, 20 other musicians who are also just like, mm -hmm. like trying to write and compose and everybody's doing something completely different. Yeah. Um, you're sharing the and, studio space? Hmm? Sharing the studio space? Um, I mean, everybody, You each person gets their own studio space, oh but it's all That's like so in the same <laughs> building or in the same like vicinity, huh. um, which is great. And so there's just like, there's so much opportunity to kind of like share. There's opportunity to collaborate. Um, there are like guest artists, different guest artists that come through every week. You can mm. take lessons like Alex Cuba was there the first week I was there. Um, and so I just like have this, like I sat down with him for an hour and just like picks his brain about like rhythm and like yeah. groove. Huh. And I just like have this like recording of us like playing together. Um, and yeah, so it was really, really special. And everybody who was there like was also just amazing. Um, so there's just like so much inspiration and it's also like camp and you get like super, mm -hmm. super close. And, yeah. um, yeah, it was a really productive time. Yeah. Um, did you, did you find that you were able to write there or that it was like collecting ideas and do, um, using it later? I wrote a lot there. Um, and I found that what I was writing there was more ambitious than anything that I've like attempted before. Like I have, I wrote a song on piano, mm. um, while I was there, I like had, there was like a song that I had been stuck on. Like I had a first half for it and I just wasn't sure how to finish it. And I just mm. like came up with this like crazy like goat rodeo sessions-esque uh, like punch brothers thing for the end of it um and like ended up per performing it with like charlotte cornfield who was there too and um like justin well, two cello players justin wright and fiola evans and just like really trying like new things um so fantastic yeah so yeah i wrote a lot and then i also just ended up with like a collection of ideas too like there were some things that i wrote and i was like oh, i don't know if this is like like something that i want to use in its entirety but like i can kind of pick and choose things now too <laughs> so i just i wish i could have been there for longer yeah uh, but yeah it was really really magical place and there's like a lot of um kind of like there's like some folklore surrounding the, the place too like it's said that like um like some of the First Nations people in the area, like it was like a very sacred gathering spot, but it said that if you stay there too long, you go crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a pretty, pretty magical place. And it's, it's so funny too, because like Banff as like a city is like this like really weird, like tourist town, like just like it has the weirdest vibe. And then the art center is just like up the mountain, kind of like separated from all that stuff. <laughs> and it's like completely I think different. I always imagine it happening in the castle. Like, yeah. like you, everyone, like folk musicians or musicians just running wild in this giant yeah, castle in the woods. Yeah. You put a festival up there. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Uh, do you want to do a tune? Sure. Um, all right. I'll play something that I worked on a little bit in Banff. This is, I, I mostly wrote this before I got there, but I ended up changing some lyrics around and doing some, like, things with, um, with, uh, arrangements and a little bit with structure um so i'll give it a shot <laughs> see what happens Masks on the nose, 
Like sitting ducks, I'd shoot them all down One by one to the ground So I put on my evening gown And I'll act like the queen as you twirl me around But I'd rather dance the jitterbug A brave night would spike the punch Courtship forge, romance displayed And I'm acting the part of the handmaid Shouldn't you mind where you went astray Your maiden every Monday day mm. She rests in the palm of your Pause on spoken reprieve and drinks up what you can't undo. Oh, how you ran, it's what you are. Oh, how you ran, it's what you are. Oh, how you ran, it's what you are. It's what you are, it's what you are.
you are or how you ran it's what you are it's what you are it's what you are that was our conversation with karina rose we hope you liked it thanks as well to the always lovely rachel cardiello for stepping in as co-host in my absence i was one so small like you you can check out more of Karina by navigating your web-based browser to KarinaRose.com. You can also check her out live at the Burdock Music Hall in Toronto on April the 28th with Krista Couture. Aren't we selfish? Aren't we selfish? Aren't we selfish? Aren't we selfish? As for Rachel, go check out her and her band uh, Warm Electric Winter at the legendary Dakota Tavern on April 15th one of my favorite spots in Toronto. I was once so small like you. You can find out more about Rachel by going to rachelcardiello.com. That's spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L, cardiello.com. As for us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle IQMJPod. We're on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash IQuitMyJob with dashes between those words. You can also find out all you need to know about us and listen to all 22 episodes over at IQMJPod.com. And if iTunes is your thing, you can subscribe as well as rate and review us there. And it would be super cool if you did. And hey, you can hear us Thursdays over at bluesandrootsradio.com at 7 p.m. and also Sundays at 2.30 in the morning. We'll be back in two weeks with our episode featuring Charles Tilden of the band Delta Will. We'll see you then. Don't you know it's in your head in the air?